You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Tuesday, May 16th. This is The Christian Commute. I'm your host, Seth Dunn. My sticky note just fell down. And you're riding home with me on this day. But I will not be home long because I have to go to my last soccer practice. The season is over. And my team, the Dragons, went undefeated. We reached our goal. The championship is ours. Yet we're still practicing because we're going to go play in a tournament in Noonan this weekend. So we have two more practices. Well, one more practice, and then we're going to have a a game against the parents on Wednesday just for fun. And because I'm at this practice, I have to miss my son's playoff baseball game. His baseball team has come down from the depths, second to last place, fight their way to the final four of the Little League tournament. So I am really proud of the way those boys are playing, and I hate to miss it. But I'm gonna, because I have to go to my soccer practice. And listen, after this weekend, after this weekend, I am going to relax. None of my kids, as much as I love all things athletics, none of my kids are going to be enrolled in any kind of athletic programs whatsoever. It will just be hanging out at the pool, going to the beach, and uh, of course, doing my job coming to the office and recording the Christian commute, what's left of the Christian commute to do. I do not have a full show for you. No one has written in in over a week. I do anticipate having some questions next week because yesterday I uploaded three shows. All of last week's shows have been uploaded I think once I start uploading the shows on a more timely basis, people will start listening more regularly again and sending in those regular questions. And I will upload the shows on a more timely basis, probably because I don't have any practices to go to. Just living life and not coaching or watching anything. A nice, long, relaxing summer. I do have two beach beach trips planned for the summer, so probably won't have any shows those weeks and uh, I'm stuck behind a FedEx truck going slow okay I ain't hurry. today's show topic is through seminary intermediate Hebrew and this is it this is it I'm done this is the last course I ever took in seminary it's uh, spring Spring, no, it's fall 2017. I didn't write it down. I'm going to go graduate in December for the graduation ceremony at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I guess that happens after the fall semester. So this is, was an internet course I took, and then I'm done. So this is this is it. I finally got through with the through seminary series. And we have learned about all the different courses one takes in seminary. Get to that 
show topic. After the Bible chapter review, we're in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 38. And Jesus is telling another parable, one that more explicitly condemns the chief priests and the elders. They've been condemned in the cursing of the fig tree, figuratively. They've been condemned in the story about the two sons, and now they're being condemned in the parable of the wicked tenants. And we're not going to finish this parable in its application today because that would have been a two sticky note show. We're in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 38. So Jesus has just told the parable of the two sons to the chief priests and the elders. And he's condemned, condemned them for not listening to John. And now he, said, he starts another parable. And he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner. And he's arguably referencing Isaiah chapter 5 when he gives the details of how the landowner built his vineyard. There was a landowner, a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to wine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same to them. But afterward, he sent his son, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come and let us kill him and take his inheritance. So what's going on here in this parable? Well, you have a landowner. He has some land and he wants to monetize that land. So he builds a vineyard facility on it. But he is not going to work the land himself, nor is he going to use his own slaves, his own labor force, to work the land. Rather, he builds it and goes on a journey. He's gone. And he rents this land, this vineyard out, to vine growers, people who are professionals. This is what they do as a job, but they do not own the land. So the idea is they are going to keep some of the produce for themselves and they're going to give some of the produce to the landowner. This is what we would have called in the, you know, the, the 20s and 30s, 40s and 50s, I don't know if people still do this, uh, the sharecropping, where you live on the land of a landowner, farmland, and you farm it, and then you split However you guys decide is fair. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. Why did I do that? Oh, no. Hold on, I gotta turn the map on. Sorry, I'm in a 14-minute delay. It's one of those times, like, why didn't I ask the navigation lady what the traffic was before I got onto the freeway? And by the time I saw it, it was too late. I got off on the freeway, and there was no chance to take a side road. So, anyway, I'm delayed. I'm still on time my soccer practice because this, let me tell you this let me stop the Bible chapter review this is, this is just some wisdom from Seth if you've got to be somewhere and you, the 
longer you're traveling to get there, in my case going from Dalton to Cartersville, to then go to my soccer practice at 545, the longer you have to travel to build there, the more time you should build in to get there. Yeah, I know it's a 45 minute trip, but I need to plan for 15 to 30 minutes for a disaster such as this. And I did, and now I'm not stressed about getting to my soccer practice on time. I'm just going to do the Christian commute relax. I can deal with this as long as it's just a 14 minute delay. Good for me, the computer lady is not even telling me to get off on this exit. It's not even a delay where I need to go around the freeway. If it was, I could, because I got the computer lady. Anyway, back to these, uh, what we might call sharecroppers. The landowner who has gone on a journey sends his representatives, in this case his slaves, back to the vineyard owners to haul back, he sends three of them to haul back the share of, I guess the grapes or the wine, whatever they're making, the, that is his. There's a wine press there, so maybe they're also they're growing the grapes on the vines and pressing it into wine themselves. So he could get grapes, he could get wine, he could even get, if they had already sold the produce, he could even get a, a share of the money. Doesn't make a difference. But he sends his servants to collect what is effectively the rent, his share of the produce and they don't get it. Instead, they beat the slave, they kill one of the slaves, they stone the other slave. So they abuse these slaves terribly. These are horrible people. They are not living up to their end of the agreement. They're contract breakers. They're covenant breakers who don't respect the land that they've been given stewardship of. So the, vine, the, the vineyard owner in frustration sends more slaves. All right, I'm going to send more slaves. And the same thing happens. So he goes, all right, they do not respect the emissaries that I am sending in my name to collect what's due. So I am going to send my son, someone very high up in my household, as high up as you can be in my household besides myself, to collect it. And we're going to end the Bible chapter review right there and Lord willing, we'll pick it up on Wednesday. But here's a little preview for you guys. And of course, a lot of you guys already understand this. The wicked tenants represent the chief priests and elders, the very people who are questioning Jesus' authority, the very people who are represented by the fig tree, the very people who are represented by the disobedient son, the very people who have allowed the temple to become a den of robbers. The very people who didn't believe John. The vineyard owner in the story is God. The vineyard is Israel. Now go put that Isaiah 5 reference in your head. Go read Isaiah 5 again. The son who is being sent is Jesus, and the slaves who were sent before him are the prophets. Namely John, but the other prophets too. The prophets Israel constantly rejected. We'll, uh, we'll pick up on that. We'll explain more of it. <coughs> cough, cough. Uh, Lord willing, on Wednesday. This is where I'd normally go to the inbox, but the inbox has cobwebs. No one has written to SethDunn88 at gmail.com in a couple of weeks. Except 
you know, to send me emails about other things because that is an email address that I use for other things. But in the old days, when people used to download this show more and listen to it, people would send in questions about Christian theology and apologetics, and I would answer them. Do you have a question? about Christian theology or apologetics. If you do, send it to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. SethDunn88 at gmail.com or dial 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. Somebody send something. Let's finish the Through Seminary series. So I saved the hardest two classes in seminary to the last. Hebrew 1 and Hebrew 2. Or intermediate Hebrew for Old Testament exegesis. That's what, that's what Hebrew 2 is. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, for the vast majority of seminary, there is no hard class. There's classes that are arduous because you have to read and write a lot. There's classes that take up a lot of time. But there's not a lot of classes that challenge your intellect, at least not mine. And maybe it's because of the purse capacity of Scripture. Maybe it's because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit makes you understand His Word and apply it to do religion right. That could be it. But the hard classes... Logic in the Christian faith, the symbolic logic class, which I feel like it came to me easier than some. That's, that's a more difficult class, like a math class. These are all abstract classes, right? Theology is an abstract, not math. One plus one equals two. So, well, hold on. Theology is not abstract. It's, you've got the Trinity, and there's, there is one God and three persons. How is that not math? Right is right. Right is wrong. Wrong is wrong. I get it. But you're, you're still dealing with abstractions. You're writing papers about concepts and doctrines. You're, you're not finding the derivative of things. It's not engineering and physics and uh, things like that that can be more difficult when you're looking for a quantitative answer. The languages, they're difficult for me because I, I speak English and I've spoken and read it my whole life. Or I guess I, not my whole life. I learned to read when I was five, but this is something new, and Hebrew is a particularly difficult language to learn, and I explain why. But here I am finishing this hard class, and it was sort of funny. I made a D in intro to Hebrew, and by what miracle did I make an A in Hebrew exegesis? Well, because when you're doing the work of, of exegesis, that's project work. It's not a grammar quiz. You can, you know, you use your Strong's concordance and your lexicon resources to write about things. I think I had a paper in this. I don't remember what I wrote my paper on. Uh, I don't know if I can dig it up. But when you're right, when your major project is a paper, it's not like a closed book language test. How about that? So you can do that work. Also, this course was not taught by a graduate assistant, by a, but by a professor, and there's interesting lectures to listen to. Uh, one of the things we learned about was, was sounds. So in language, there are sibilants, sibilants. There are dentals, d-d-dentals. 
See, and it's where your tongue is. And a sibilant, you're making that S sound. Your tongue is up in front of your, right back behind your, around the bottom of your mouth. Sibilant. Dentals, you're putting your tongue up on the top of your mouth, the roof, to come up off of your teeth. That's why you call it the dental. It's this duh, dental, sibilant. And there's another one, but uh, I forgot what you call it. And we learn, you know, there are these basic sounds, and you use them to form the Hebrew words and the sound of those words. That's, I mean, that's that's a general language thing. Uh, we learned about how Hebrew words combine to make new Hebrew words or proper nouns. For example, Jerusalem. How many of you guys have grown up recognizing that? Jerusalem was the capital of Israel, and it's called the Holy Land, and you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and there's always news going on in Jerusalem, and that's where Jesus went and died on the cross. You said Jerusalem a hundred times. How many of you knew it meant possession of peace from the Hebrew Yarush, possession, possession, and Shalom, peace, Yarush, Shalom. Yerush, possession, shalom, of peace. Yerushalom, Yerushalom, Jerusalem, in the English. So we learned neat little things like that. We learned where the Hebrew scholars thought the lessons in the Old Testament ended and began. So if you're looking at a Hebrew Bible, there's these markings on, them, on it that don't really have anything to do with the text itself, like what it means, what the words mean, but there are markings, like say if you're going through Samuel, by the way, there's no 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, there's Samuel in the original, it's split up into 1st and 2nd in our English Bible because Greek takes longer to, I mean, Greek takes up more space than the same Hebrew because there's vowels, uh, but you can, if you go to these Old Testament books, you see these marks. They're extra-biblical marks that the scholars put in there. And they say, this, the lesson of this story begins here and ends here. So what you might learn in a synagogue sermon or a teaching opportunity or a teaching event in a synagogue would be marked from here to here. We learned about that. That was kind of neat to learn about. There's something in the text that the professor labeled dukes and kings, which were markings in the text, but I forget what that meant. I forgot, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot what it means. So there's there's some little insider seminary knowledge that just lost in my memory. I just, I remember it being there. Can you guys tell that by that time I was done, I was ready to be done with seminary? I was. How did I make an A in this course? I will never forget it. There were certain passages of the Old Testament that we were to study, and I studied them. And the deal was, like, you know one of these passages is going to be on the test. And I think I thought to myself, I think it's going to I think it's Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. I forget what the other ones were. That was the one on the test. And it starts, uh, Joshua gathered the elders. That's how it started. I remember memorizing that in English. And then memorizing like what it looked like or what the start of it looked like in Hebrew. And that was very easy, easy to do because Joshua is a name. 
So I could read it because back then I knew Hebrew phonetically and I could read Yeshua, uh-huh, Joshua. And then, um, okay, elders, I remember, I don't know what that word is now, but Joshua, oh, Joshua, he gathered the elders at this place. I forget which place it was. And he did all this. And from studying the passage, I recognized what it was. And Joshua, he gathered the elders at, and he did this. Because when, whenever I translated uh, Hebrew, I would do it very wooden. Like if if it was something in the third person, like Joshua, he gathered, the, the verb, I would say Joshua, he gathered the people at this place. And the people did this. I always wrote it out in a very wooden way. That's, that's just how I thought my translation should be. Because I, you know, I wasn't putting it into sleek sentences. And, and by the way, that's sort of the first part of translation work that is done. Like, oh, I've got a, I've got a, a verb in the third person. It's in the past tense. Or, what, you know, the Hebrew tenses. I can't, I can't even pronounce them or remember. It to fall. I mean, I know that's wrong. But there's just all these tenses uh, to remember. But I'm going to use our English. All right, I've got a verb in the third person past tense and this is being used in the historical presence and this is the object of the sentence so it's like you graph it out and then you think all right how would i say this in common english all right boom and that, that's how the new american standard or the new international version of the bible comes to be so with a little bit of uh, research work listening to the lectures and a little bit of good old-fashioned rote memorization on the closed book test if they had just given me some random Hebrew that wasn't in the Bible, I'd be like, sorry, sorry. But as I talked about in the classes before, in real life, if I had to write a sermon off of this, it would be up there. There's no closed book sermons. Never, you ever heard of a closed book sermon? Don't use the Bible. Uh, and don't you, Oh, and when you're preparing uh, and you're trying to exegete the Hebrew, don't use a lexicon. Like, no, that's why we have this. So that's what I did, and I made it. And this last semester of seminary was also my last semester of, of worry or concern about getting thrown out of Roland Springs Baptist Church for challenging, uh, challenging uh, masonry. So here's, here's how this went down. So graduation, I think they graduate two times a year, uh, maybe three. Anyway, I, I couldn't I couldn't do it in spring semester in, in time. I want to say I took this course uh, in the summer or before summer. It might have been spring 2017, and then I scheduled my graduation to happen in December. By the way, you guys know this: the only thing I ever bought from Lifeway in my whole time at seminary was the rental of my graduation gown. Because they said, here, this, this is where you rent it. And you rent it from the Lifeway on campus, which is the campus bookstore. And there's really nowhere else to get it. I despise Lifeway so much that I would order my books from anywhere else. Do you know seminary students get a 30% discount at Lifeway for their books? And I still wouldn't order from that wicked place. I would order from Amazon, used or new, but I would not buy from Lifeway. But when it came down to it, I was like, crap, I almost I made it out of seminary without going to Lifeway, but uh, I rented the gowns, and I don't think those gown rentals went to Lifeway Corporate, I think it was the campus bookstore, but uh, 
I did. And the campus bookstore went out of business because all Lifeways went out of business. I don't know how they run the campus bookstore now, but good riddance, Lifeway. You're awful. But that's the only thing I got was my cap and gown printed from Lifeway. So I finished this course, turned in my papers, got my A, washed my hands of it, and then I took some of the tithe money that I had escrowed. I started escrowing my tithe money, save it up. I would never ever give to a general fund of an SBC church. So when I joined Rolling Springs, I knew they were giving, I think, 6% of the cooperative program. I said, I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm going to give my money to the building fund. We'll pay off our building debt, or I'll give my money to uh, the filling food into backpacks for poor kids fund. They call it backpack buddies. I'll that. Or, oh, there's some, the youth group is going to do something specific. I'll give to that. So I had something I would specifically give to, like some kind of benevolence thing or missions thing, or if I didn't have anything in mind to specifically give to, I would just pay the building fund. And after my first experience with the pastor, when I wrote my Matthew 18 letters to the, the Masons, I realized that it was not a good idea for me to give to the building fund because that was going to be a building in the future that I was not going to be allowed to use <laughs> because I was going to get kicked out of church probably. And it was going to be used for Masons to uh, participate in their syncretism again because they're just going to come in and profane the Lord's church by even being there and claiming themselves as Christians when they're Masons and Christians and they're syncretists. So I saw, like, this is not going, uh, I'm going to start escrowing this money and I'm going to put it to good use. So you can imagine, I had quite a bit of money saved up when I decided to do this. So I, I went online, Amazon, and I bought a copy of John Ankerberg's Freemasonry book, which is an anti-Freemasonry book, which explains why it could with Christianity and why it's bad. I bought a copy for every giving unit in the church because Roland Springs is a family-oriented type of church. It's not a mega church where you don't know anybody. Everybody has access to the church people management software. And you have everyone's address, everyone's name and address. And the idea is like, well, you need to have their name and address and phone number so you can take care of one another. When somebody gets sick, you know where to send food or you know where to visit because the idea at a church like Roland Springs, which is one of the reasons why I joined there, is like you're supposed to know everybody. You're not showing up to a worship show. You're a member of this church, and we're all depending on one another. Which is what's so tragic about them not loving their masons enough to show them that they're in sin. Keep them accountable like the Bible says to do. So I had access to all that information. I typed every giving unit's address into Amazon. How, I, and how many giving units were there? I mean, there was, I think there was a hundred, maybe more. So you gotta imagine, I typed in a hundred addresses into, into Amazon. Because you, 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 you buy something, you say either send it to me or send it somewhere else. I did all of this. And I ordered all these books. This is before I wrote my book. And I sent it to 
every house in the church. I was gone in two weeks, kicked out in two weeks. But the reason I put that story in there uh, in the, through seminary series is because I'd finished seminary. It didn't matter that they kicked me out of church. I no longer needed a church endorsement. I had completed my coursework. Now, if you're going to send your transcript in or your resume in to some church somewhere to say, well, you know, I want to preach there, be the pastor there, yeah, you're going to need a church endorsement. And it would be uh, a couple years later until I finally got licensed to the ministry, which is sort of a given, sort of it's expected when you graduate seminary. But obviously, Roland Springs wasn't going to license me. Uh, they were kicking me out. But I eventually became licensed. So that was sort of the outside stressor the outside context going in while I was finishing Hebrew. And I finished it. And I finished seminary. So when I started seminary, the requirements to graduate were 91 semester hours. And I remember thinking like, wow, to get my master's in accounting, if you have an undergraduate degree in accounting, you only need 30 semester hours. And you know, we're doing people's taxes and auditing corporations. Now, in my case, I didn't have an undergraduate degree in accounting, so I had to take 15 hours worth of undergrad accounting courses, the advanced undergraduate courses, so which effectively sort of gives you a degree, undergraduate degree in accounting. I had to take 45 hours. So my undergraduate master, or not undergraduate master's, that doesn't even make any sense. My master's in accounting at Kennesaw State was 45 hours. And I had to get double that amount get my MDiv. When I started, you had to have 91 hours, and 18 of them had to be on campus. And I'd go to the little workshops. Well, by the time it was over, I guess the world had advanced in technology and expectations enough where the on-campus requirement was gone. And I was like, well, why was I going down there a week vacation and made in New Orleans to do this in that dangerous neighborhood? But truth be told, I had great times when I went down there at the red carpet week going to New Orleans going to the, getting my beignets and coffee and going to someplace different, being with the other guys in seminary and playing in the basketball tournament that they'd have down there. I had a great time. So that was okay. But they dropped the requirement from 91 to 84. And they changed some of the classes. And it, some of it would be like, well, this used to be a three-hour class, and now it's a two-hour class. I was like, well, I already took the three-hour class. And when that happened, they'd say, all right, you'd ha you now have one hour of elective credit. So I actually avoided taking a general elective because I had taken a couple classes that were three hours that became two hours and got the elective credit. I think that's how that worked out. But I finished, and it took me a long time, a long time. I think uh, when we started this series, I said, what is it, 2010 I'm doing this? And it took till 2007. It's not supposed to take seven years, but it's a lot of hours, like I said. And I didn't have exactly 81 hours. I think I ended up with more because of anticipating 91. But I finished that seminary, every bit of it, and the host of the Christian Commute, your podcast host, has every bit of the education as a lot of the pastors out there tell you this, I'll tell you every bit of the truth that they might not tell you. Not that they're lying about the Bible or doing false teaching. I'm talking about how church and denominations work. The world that they have to stay in and put up with that I don't have to on the Christian commute. And when I got done, I was like, hey man, 
sure am glad to be a CPA. But that's it. That's intermediate Hebrew for Old Testament exegesis. I'm now prepared for every good work according to the seminary. And I finished. Now you finished with me. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute and uh, this series of the uh, Through Seminary series. As always, God bless. And as always, remember Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.